In the mid-19th century, a man from Ohio would join the Union side of the Civil War, become an overnight celebrity, who would eventually become the President of the United States of America. The thing is, before that war, he was kind of a failure, and a nobody who was drifting through life and doing just enough to keep his family from starving to death. This week on HPH, we're telling you about the early life and times of this man who embodies the rags-to-riches American dream. Because we want you all to know that even if you're a 30-something-year-old millennial who is still suckling at their parents' teats as you struggle to find your way through life, you too can become one of the greatest Americans to ever live. So, grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Hunter Proof History, titled Ulysses S. Grant, Part 1, more like useless. This is Hundred Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Hello, everyone. Welcome in to this episode. Um, we just got done with quite a somber affair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 9-11 series. You know, I'm just glad that we didn't once make a joke in that series. Not once. And, uh, you know, so we're coming off a very serious time for this show. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Wheels are fucking off now. <laughs> yeah. Everybody in this story died a long time yeah. ago. Fuck them. Fuck them. Oh. oh, yeah. They're all fair game. <laughs> so, welcome back. Yeah. Right after that episode last time, I went and bought me some Johnson & Johnson's No More Tears shampoo. Like, just poured it straight onto my face. I'm like, yeah! Yeah, we're back! <laughs> Not going to cry during this episode. That's for damn sure, unless Greg makes fun of me, and then I'll break down. But he'll edit that out. You guys won't hear the 30 minutes of crying that follows that. But, you know. <laughs> you know, I really wish Johnson & Johnson would expand. Mm -hmm. I, I get it. You got the No More Tears shampoo. Mm -hmm. You got the baby powder. Mm -hmm. You've got the COVID-19 vaccine, which I encourage all of our listeners to take. Probably not the Johnson you don't? Johnson. Well, you know, just one of them. One of them. <laughs> but probably not that one. I want a more tear shampoo. <laughs> so that when I'm in my size 15 high heels with some mm -hmm. panties on looking in the mirror, mm -hmm. cranking it. Yeah. Just more. It, it fulfills the kink. <laughs> Number one, it's like I know what I'm looking at. They're crying. Mm, that gets me going. Uh <laughs> And number two, it just blurs it, so it's not me. Yeah. But it's still kind of a manly figure, which yeah. also gets me going. So I mean, You still got the blonde wig, but you know, got the mustache, mm -hmm. but you also got the mascara running down your face. Oh, yeah, dude. It's, it's, yeah, it's all sorts of sexual confusion. Just, whew. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I need to break beer back. Okay. <laughs> And we're back. All right. Well, Gregory, this week we're talking about former president, Civil War hero, all-around interesting dude, Ulysses S. Grant. 
and our main source was Grant by Ron Chernow. I think you described it off-air pretty well as it's the completionist version of the book, like mm. the guy who has to sit around playing the same video game for like six months until he gets 100%. Like if you read a yes. Ron Chernow book, that's what you're getting. Like, you know, and then he bought this coat and it had seven bronze buttons, gold stitching. And there was inside was a little card that says property of Ulysses S. Grant. And we know that because we found it in this. It just keeps going on and on and on. And it's a it's a lengthy one. It's a thousand pages. So coming from that that masterful book, uh, Rise and Fall or sorry, Fall and Rise by Mitchell Zuckoff to this one. Oh, it's difficult, man. I mean, it's a great book, but it's mm-hmm. it's it's tough. It is comprehensive. Yes, it is comprehensive, uh, and we use the same author for our Washington series. Yeah, and it was the same kind of deal there. It's like watching a movie, the Fallen Rise book, versus asking your wife how her day was, and she starts telling you about how her day actually was and all the stuff she did at oh, work. That you're like, very I accurate. I don't work there. I don't know these people. I stopped paying attention like 10 minutes ago. I got to back this up and act like I I understood what's happening. That's reading uh-huh, wrong. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. Oh, I can't believe she did that. That's a dude. Oh, I'm sorry. I, name confusion. Well, his n- name was Steven. Well, you know, anybody could be named anything these days. I'm paying attention. Fuck you. <laughs> sleeping on the couch again. You know what? I'm mad enough now. I am sleeping on the couch. <laughs> Wait, fuck. Give you your way. <laughs> Well, Chris, speaking of getting your way, are you ready to give the listeners their way and uh, take off your panties? I mean, uh, get into this story? (laughs) Yes, main host Gregory. I will do whatever you tell me to do. Yeah, that wasn't a a request. It was a demand. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Please go now. Okay. On April 27th, 1822, Jesse and Hannah Grant welcomed their big, fat, ten and three quarter pound son into the world. When naming him, they went with suggestions from his father, Jesse, and his mythology-loving step-grandma, and gave him the name Hiram Ulysses Grant. This is obviously before parents thought about how kids made fun of names, because not only did his initial spell H-U-G, which is hug, at school he would go by Ulyss, or Liss, prompting kids to call him Useless Grant. <laughs> Hence the intro title. Yeah. And if this had been the 1990s, that would have led straight to a school shooting. But, you know, muskets and stuff. Just too too long to reload. You just, you just take out one kid and you're like, fuck, and jamming it. And then they tackle you and it's really not worth it. As opposed to now, where it's worth it. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm sorry for everything. Already. One point in. I'm I'm sorry. I couldn't tell jokes last time, okay? This is what I have in my head now. You got joke blue balls over here. <laughs> I do. His dad, Jesse, was a giant blowhard who had strong convictions and preached them to pretty much anyone who would listen. He was initially from Kentucky, but became such a staunch abolitionist that he refused to live in a slave state and soon moved to Ohio, where he went to work in a tannery owned by Owen Brown, father of famed future abolitionist and tactical idiot, John Brown. I worked in a tannery in high school. Yeah? Yeah, the, you know, the women would come in and they'd want the little Playboy bunny thing, like, right on their hip. Yeah. Yeah. And I had secret cameras installed, like, in the 
we've done this before. Have we? Yeah, John Brown worked in a tannery, and you're like, you have the little Playboy emblem you put on your hip. Fuck you, then. <laughs> Continue the story. <laughs> it was in Ohio that Jesse Grant met and married Hannah Simpson. She was very much Jesse's opposite in that she was quiet and reserved, highly respectful, and didn't dole out praise easily or brag about herself or her family. Her and I have nothing in common. <laughs> yeah. She did remind me in that regard of George Washington's mom. We're like, oh, yeah, that's fucking great. Okay, you want a war? Big fucking deal. Where's my 10 grand? You stupid bitch. <laughs> As a boy, Ulysses was very much like his mother. He kept his emotions to himself. He was quiet and calm, but he was also not startled by dangerous situations, and he didn't really seem to be scared of much at all. One day he was outside doing that little thing where you, you chase a hoop with a stick like they did back in those days. He looked over, this clown's there with red balloons, asking him to go into the sewer. He's like, hmm, I don't know. And he's like, but I got free candy. And he's like, okay, let's do it. Wasn't scared one bit. <laughs> Ulysses was raised as a strict Methodist, which meant his household didn't allow for dancing, card playing, or cursing. Throughout his life, Grant would hardly ever say anything more harsh than darn or thunder and lightning. But at an early age, he discovered the wonders of alcohol when he and his friends would sneak sips of his father's blackberry liqueur that he kept strictly for medicinal purposes. Mm. That's why I keep all these bottles of liquor behind me, too. Daddy needs his medicine. This brings me back to a time in my life when I could actually remember things for weeks at a time. <laughs> a kid that hadn't found alcohol yet. Right. Since then, it's been a gigantic blur of <sighs> waking up in truck stops and <laughs> hydrating with Listerine because mm. it's got a little booze in it, yeah. but it also freshens your breath when you got to mm. go into a job interview that inevitably <laughs> you're not going to get. <laughs> Those were the good old days. They were. You know? The good old days. Remember the first time you had alcohol, you're like, ugh, yucky. No, I will never, ever drink very much of this stuff. This is awful. Can we put like some fruit in this to make it taste better? And now it's like, oh, what are we doing tonight? Oh, my kid has a drill team performance. Fuck, can you just hear the... We're at a school. You can't have that. I'm like, they can't have that. I can fucking have it. I'm drinking age. Jesus. man. <laughs> yeah. Thought this was America. You want to take my freedoms away? So, yeah, I had my, like, first taste of alcohol. I was probably, I don't know, six or seven at a restaurant, and mm. my dad let me taste his beer. Yeah. And it was fucking awful. It was terrible. But maybe, like, two years later... My uncle had found a way, I guess, to get, like, vodka or something inside of the Capri Sun. And that shit was really good. I just Maybe. remember him uh, getting me real drunk in my younger days. And, uh, yeah, I don't remember a lot after, but that shit was good. Oh, that 9-11 moratorium on jokes didn't last very long. We did not make it very far. No, we didn't. It's like taking a dog to the park, and he's been chained up his whole life. You just let him go, and he's like, oh, shit, we're never seeing that dog again. Fuck. <laughs> Starts mauling another puppy, and you're like, I'm just leaving. I'm out. This is the end of me. 
I'm just saying, I don't remember a lot, but I just remember that his basement walls spinning. <laughs> I could see myself in the mirror on the ceiling looking very dizzy. <laughs> That's inappropriate. That's inappropriate. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, anyway, as a kid, Ulysses developed into an excellent horseman and often impressed other kids with his tricks. Illusions, Michael. Tricks are what a whore does for money. <laughs> Arrested development, anyone? Anyway. But Ulysses was a middle-of-the-pack student, and he didn't show a lot of promise. Eventually, he went to work in his dad's tannery, but he hated it, and so he half-assed the work. By the time he was 16, his dad had lost faith in his son's ability to ever make anything out of himself, and so he decided that Ulysses would go to West Point Military Academy. And little-known fact, Ulysses hated working at the tannery, especially dealing with the blood and viscera that come with skinning and cleaning animals. Because of his experiences there, for the entirety of his adult life, he refused to eat any meat that wasn't burnt to an absolute crisp and free of any blood or juices. Just getting that steak with that ketchup. Well done, motherfucker. Mm. That's how all my favorite presidents eat their steaks. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, first, Jesse wrote to Ohio Senator Thomas Morris to get Ulysses into West Point. On Christmas Day, Jesse said, I think you're going to get the appointment. To which Ulysses replied, What darn thunder and lightning appointment? Because he had no idea. No idea he'd even been put in for West Point. But when Jesse said West Point, Ulysses said he wouldn't go. His dad said, uh, yeah, huh, you're going. And that was the end of the argument because Ulysses lacked and would continue to lack the ability to ever stand up to his father. He never had that front yard Thanksgiving shirtless brawl that most boys have with their fathers, you know? It's a pivotal time in a man's life. Yeah, you gotta fight over the love of your stepmother. You know, you just gotta be out there just bare-knuckle brawling with your dad. I knew she was in the dryer when I was trying to put those clothes in, Dad. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> I knew. She said she was stuck, but she moved a whole lot. But then something happens in that, with the rain coming down and the, the glistening man pecks, and you're like, I don't even know if I want her anymore. There's, there's something happening right here. Something has awoke inside me. I'm going to go to a liberal arts college, Dad, and you're going to fucking pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out Jesse actually had to write a letter to Ohio Congressman Thomas Hamer, who was leaving office on March 4th. He frantically scrawled a letter to Hamer, who didn't like Jesse Grant at all, and it arrived on the night of March 3rd. Well, there's no fucking way this getting through, but surprisingly, Hamer approved it. But he listed our buddy, old hug, useless Grant, as Ulysses S. Grant. And from that point on, that was his name, even though Grant would later say, You know, I have an S in my name, and even I don't know what it stands for. Obvious Southern gentleman, Ulysses S. Grant. That's, uh, that's the best voice I could come up with on the spot, Greg. Don't you fucking judge me. It works perfectly. Thank you. Thank you. In May of 1839, 5'2", 117-pound Ulysses S. Grant left Ohio for West Point. He hated the idea of going and daydreamed about getting into an accident while traveling that wouldn't kill him but would hurt him just bad enough that he wouldn't have to go to military school. 
I had one of these jobs when I was like 21, 22. Fucking hated it. I mean, it was good money. Don't get me wrong. I, it was more than I deserved, probably being the shithead that I was, college dropout and all that. But I would literally daydream, like, you know, if I just crashed in this bridge embankment right now, I wouldn't die. I'd be handicapped. I'd be okay with that. I don't have to go work. I can get out of work today for, you know, a lifetime of uh, being in a wheelchair. That's fine. Fair trade. Kanye West was a college dropout, so. Yeah, it's true. I'm basically Kanye West. That's, mm-hmm. yep. I've, okay, never mind. I've made it. I've made it. I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Now you're here. This. When Grant arrived, he was horrified to learn that his name had been changed, and the other cadets had noticed he was U.S. Grant, and they started calling him Uncle Sam Grant. From that point on, anyone who went to school with him would call him Sam. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> he soon signed enlistment papers, which required him to serve in the military for eight years after he graduated from West Point. Stupid, man. Those recruiters, man, they'll just lie to you. Get you to join the Air Force, go to Afghanistan, see the suffering of those people. You know, wonder why we're even there. Turn you into a filthy liberal that everybody fucking hates. You know, these recruiters. One correction. Yes. Iraq and Afghanistan. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Get it straight. This is my life story. <laughs> you know what, Greg? I'm proud of you, though, because you came back from the war relatively normal. Uh, Tim McVeigh, he went to Iraq, came back and bombed a government building. So, you haven't done that yet. Operative word there. I know. What are those blueprints behind you? What is, what is that shit? Yet. Over the following four years, Grant learned math, engineering, geography, history, and French. Because most of the tactics were taught in French by a dude who worshipped our favorite cuck general, Napoleon. Grant found a lot of the training to be outdated, as it still focused on tactics suited to flintlock musket rifles, but he did learn how to fight on a frontier using flexible supply bases, rapid troop movements, and concentration of forces, which were tactics he'd used throughout his military life. In 1843, Grant graduated 21st out of a class of 39. He was a 5'8", 21-year-old, who still only weighed 117 pounds. As he awaited his military assignment, Grant returned home to Ohio where he hoped to find praise, but the hillbilly yokels just made fun of him for wearing his fancy uniform. No pleasing these idiots. There's nothing you can do. Just bullies, man. You try and get out the hood, and the hood makes fun of you. They call you hoity-toity. Think you're acting all better than them. He's like, yeah, that's why I fucking left. I left to better myself. Like, oh, look at this guy. Trying to make something of themselves. What an asshole. Yeah. It was here in February of 1844 that Grant met and fell in love with a beautiful girl named Julia Dent. Julia was the daughter of a Missouri plantation owner named Frederick Dent, who was just nuts for owning slaves. She suffered from an eye condition known as strabismus, which caused her to have permanently crossed eyes. She would later say that, quote, I used to cry when I was a little girl because I was so ugly. And her mom would reply, quote, Never mind, Julia. You can be my good little girl. End quote. What a shit mom. 
Like, she's like, well, I don't disagree, but I love you. <laughs> you are fucking hideous, but, uh, you know, if you're nice, maybe someone will love you. I don't. I can't <laughs> believe you came out of me. I should have done all that cocaine while I was pregnant with you, obviously. <laughs> well, Grant fell in love with Julia, which caused a lot of problems because her slave-owning father, who called himself Colonel Dent, despite having no military experience or rank, fucking hated Grant and his abolitionist family. What's with those southern guys that just called themselves Colonel? Like, oh, I'm the Colonel. You weren't in the army, but I guess that's just a thing you, you called yourself when you made fried chicken one time. <laughs> Look at me. I think they like having rank, you know, when yeah. they were uh, a master, so to speak, of slaves. Yeah. I don't know. So it was just a late 1800s sort of thing. It really was. What is E.H. Uh, e. Taylor? He yeah, was... a Colonel E.H. Taylor Bourbon. He was not a fucking colonel. Yeah. Colonel Sanders. Served. I think Colonel Sanders actually did serve in the Civil War, but I don't think he made it to colonel. I don't know if Colonel Sanders served, Greg. That'll have to be an episode we do later. Okay. <laughs> KFC history. Brought to you by KFC. Where we expose the secret uh, recipe. And ourselves. Yes. But that'll only be for our patron listeners. They could see the our rippling abs, tot pecs, and bulging 0.5 inch penises. What are we doing this in a sauna? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to let them really hang down as, as much as they can. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Well, when Grant was told his military unit was shipping off to Louisiana and he proposed to Julia, she said she was cool with being engaged, but she wasn't actually sure she wanted to be married, and she begged Grant not to tell her father that they were even engaged. And that was the status of their relationship when Grant headed off for the army in May of 1844. And little known fact, over the following 20 months, Grant would write Julia letters constantly and would be upset that he only got 11 in return over that nearly two-year span. It's hard to know if she struggled to write because of her bad eye or because her father forbade it, but we do know that her dad forced her to go to balls in St. Louis, where he hoped she'd meet a rich, racist, eligible bachelor, just like my mom wished I did growing up. <laughs> it was around this time that tensions were building between newly annexed Texas and Mexico over the disputed border between the two countries. Grant hated that Texas had joined the Union as a slave state and considered quitting the army instead of fighting against Mexico, but would later say he, quote, had not moral courage enough to resign, end quote, and felt an overriding duty to serve the flag. Just like now, when people are like, how do you live in Texas? I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not me. You know, I didn't have anything to do with it, you know? <laughs> I don't like it either, guys. I don't, why don't you move? Well, oof, that's a lot of hoops to jump through, you know? Pretty well, comfortable where I'm at. You know, I, just, I don't want to uproot my family and move away, you know, and stuff like that, you know? So you support those things. Well, no, 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 no. See, it's, it's a, it... I mean, the abortion thing, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no. No. Official stance, 100 proof history. No, we don't. We don't support anything our state government has done in the last, I don't know. I, I overly support abortions. I think <laughs> if the child is under six uh, years old, mm -hmm. 
An abortion just... should be permitted. <laughs> They're trying to say it's weeks. Let's go. Man, let's keep going. Come on, baby. Come on. Go. In kindergarten, the kid's like You're fucking You're a badass up. little kid. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Yeah. They just got like an incinerator at the elementary school. It's like, oh, no. Oh, no. It's... Called your parents. <laughs> yeah, maybe I will put the incinerator stuff in there. I didn't think along the Holocaust lines. I was just thinking. Just I was kill about me. to say, the principal's got a little Charlie Chaplin mustache. <laughs> well, under orders from President James Polk, General Zachary Taylor moved U.S. troops into the contested zone of Texas between the Nueces and Rio Grande rivers. In April of 1846, Mexican soldiers ambushed some of these U.S. soldiers, and that gave Polk the excuse he was looking for to start a war. On May 8th, Grant got his first taste of war at the Battle of Palo Alto. Which now, means tall Palo, <laughs> in case you didn't know. And Palo means Paul. Really tall guy named Paul standing in the back. What's up, tall Paul? <laughs> yeah. High five. Wait, no, you got to give me low five. I'm going to give you a high five. <laughs> he immediately gets hit in the face by a cannonball because he just stands out so high. <laughs> like, oh, no, tall Paul. <laughs> his stature was so tall, but his life was so short. He was quickly felled. Mm -hmm. Well, this battle was predominantly fought with artillery. But Grant, God damn it, Tall Paul is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, this battle was predominantly fought with artillery, but Grant quickly learned that he was naturally calm in such high-stress situations. This held true, even as a cannonball took off the head of the guy next to him, and another blasted off the jaw of the captain of his unit. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> poor chap. Anyways, onwards, fellows. It's my new U.S. Grant impersonation. Okay. The next day, Grant was temporarily placed in charge of his unit and led an attack through a swampy, wooded area, but it turns out he'd gotten lost and ended up leading a heroic charge into areas that other U.S. troops had already captured. And when you're writing that letter, you're like, we suffered zero casualties. I'm a fucking great leader. Look at that. Captured all this land? Fucking did it, fellas. You just kind of leave out the other part. Yeah. This is an opportunity to shine for Grant, you know? Yeah. Being temporarily placed in charge of his unit. Um, my wife gave me that same opportunity the other day. Mm-hmm. She took off the penis cage. Oh. So I just had an afternoon where I was in charge of my unit. How'd that go? I did not succeed. <laughs> she revoked all powers. <laughs> Well, it was, it was Rewinds of the Olympics. Oh, no. And I was watching uh, the male beach volleyball. Mm. Needless to say, I, I'm back in the cage. Yeah. So. Anyway. Yeah. It's it's tough. You can only be so strong, you know? Psh, not as strong as those young men. <laughs> Man, did you see them? <laughs> they could grip a quarter with those ass cheeks. Ugh. Drop it in the slot? Oh, my God. Jeez, jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> well, the Mexican-American War went pretty great for the United States, as General Taylor quickly pushed into Mexico. Grant was viewed as a competent leader, so naturally, they decided to make him the regimental quartermaster. 
Now, he viewed this as something of a demotion, but it would turn out to be a pivotal moment in his military career because it was here that he learned the importance of logistics and supply lines. And, even as the quartermaster, Grant still made sure to report to the front lines when it came time to go to battle against the Mexican army. And for those of you that don't know, I guess, the job of a quartermaster, it's to requisition and just get all these things in line for what they need logistically to push forward to stay pat, all of that stuff. Like, every piece of equipment they need, Yeah, that's what that person's doing. Yeah, and they are not required to fight. So that was kind of him going above and beyond, going out to the front lines. And little known fact, during one battle, a retreat was ordered and Grant gave up his horse so that a wounded man could make it back safely. That night, he was observed creeping back onto the battlefield to give water to the other wounded and dying men who had been left behind. Well, Zachary Taylor was a hero, which was bad news for James Polk, who was worried he'd lose his gig as president to Taylor. So, Taylor was yanked from command and replaced by Winfield Scott, who decided to launch an amphibious landing on the Mexican coast and march into Mexico City. It was an ambitious plan and once stressed the hell out of Grant's abilities as a quartermaster, but he kept the supplies moving and became well-known and respected. As the army approached Mexico City, Grant suggested the army should swing around to the north of the city where they'd have the high ground and could move quickly. And once again, Obi-Wan Kenobi jizzed in his pants. Mm-hmm. It's all about that high ground, baby. Now, he was suggesting this as opposed to the southern route, which was full of swamps and ditches. Winfield Scott ignored him and decided to listen to a captain named Robert E. Lee. Who? Big fucking nobody. Who wanted to press through the southern route anyway. It ended up working, and the war was won, but it was costly and it left Grant with the impression that Lee wasn't really the hot shit that everyone thought he was. Something we'll see going forward. He's kind of like, BFD, am I right? Who the fuck's this guy? Mm. It's kind of my opinion too, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We got a whole another part about that. I think more the opinion was he was a great strategist and a Mm -hmm. bad tactician. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Even if we don't talk about that, next time we'll talk about it eventually. About uh, not unless I resign in protest. <laughs> you ain't going to talk about shit, Chris. All right. That's true. Don't That's speak true. for me. Yep. You ain't my man. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> well, the Mexican-American War was over. Grant was well-regarded and had a bright future. But when he wasn't fighting, he got bored. And when he got bored, he got shit-faced, pee-pants drunk. My man. Mm. But that would cost Grant dearly going forward. Yeah, my wife always says that. Empty threats. (laughs) (laughs) Empty fucking threats. (laughs) Until I see that fucking U-Haul. Sorry. She can't lose this HPH paycheck. She knows. She's... She's like, I fucking hate my husband, but you should listen to his podcast, seriously. Like, uh, <laughs> maybe subscribe to that Patreon. Oh, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Well, that feels like a good time. We just talked about how alcohol is going to ruin his life. Feels like a good time to take a break and go have some more alcohol, Greg. What do you say? I can't fucking wait. Yeah. See you in a little bit. To the listener, like 10 seconds. Bye.
All right, we are back from break. Hope you enjoyed it. I know we did. Oh, man, I can't tell you, Greg, how good it feels to not be talking about something so emotional and horrifying as 9-11. Just to, just to be in the, in the zone. We're like, <laughs> this idiot, look at this idiot. He lived 200 years ago, fucking moron. It's like, you know, you, you've been drinking Guinness all day, and you got this, this thing in your stomach. It's real heavy weight on you and you're like oh i feel terrible never gonna make it but then on the corner of your eye you see this like this shiny thing you're like what is that what is that tall beacon of goodness what's gonna turn this whole thing around make me feel good about myself and my life and it turns out it's the second half seltzer second half seltzer second half seltzer second half seltzer All right, three, two, one. <sighs> yeah. Back to what you were saying, though. Mm-hmm. You're really enjoying cutting up, being uh, the class clown. But uh, I don't know. I think I've realized something about myself these past couple weeks. Yeah. Is that uh, I enjoy that darkness. <laughs> You're almost like a. A tourist here, mm-hmm. whereas I consider myself a prisoner. You think darkness is your ally. You've merely adapted to the dark. <laughs> I was born in it, <laughs> molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was a man, and by then it was only blinding. <laughs> Sorry, that was my Hannibal Lecter slash Bane. No, I know, I understood you way too much. Slash Sean Connery. Just <laughs> <laughs> think about Tom Hardy and all of his good roles, you don't have a fucking clue what he's saying. You're like, what the fuck was that? I'm just saying, I like the pain, Chris. Oh, did you? And I like fucking, it makes me feel something. Mm-hmm. Do I have to feel good all the time? No. But I want to feel. Yeah. Maybe I'll feel bad. Yeah, I do remember. Maybe I'll that- jack off to Muhammad Atta. <laughs> I do Not re- in a good way. Right. Right. Understandable. Yeah. No, I do remember earlier this week in the pre-show meetings where you were like, hey, you know, I really enjoyed the work we did on these last couple of episodes where we took it really serious. We really focused on the history. I think we should be good at that. And I was just over there drawing dicks on the notepad. <laughs> Look at this one. <laughs> it's, it's a clown penis. It's got little makeup on the end. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, that's that's our show. Speaking of serious history interrupted by an idiot who has nothing better to do but uh, interject his own stupid jokes and thoughts, Greg, do you want to tell the people the second half of this story? You know that I do more than anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you have some unreleased pictures of Muhammad Atta. <laughs> and his thin lips. Shirtless at a construction site. Just wearing that jean jacket vest. A Bin Laden construction site. The Bin Laden family. I fucking told you. you Cracked it. Cracked it. Told you. Well, on a very, very slightly more serious note, following the war, Grant returned to Missouri, where Julia Dent realized she couldn't do any better, and finally agreed to marry Ulysses. Her father, the colonel, quote, unquote, begrudgingly consented to the marriage. But by this time, Grant's family had found out he was marrying a slave owner, and they refused to come to his wedding. My parents did the same thing. Whoa! 
Shout out to your wife, the slave owner. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it was consensual with that guy. Just always wearing that gimp mask, talking about how he wants to edit podcasts and stuff. And mm-hmm. just so I don't get canceled, I freed him. Oh, okay. To to edit podcasts. He's now my boyfriend. Well, <laughs> he's freed in the confines of a single room in the house, yes. Yes, yeah. To edit podcasts. And his name is Wolf Dick. <laughs> Not to be confused with Dick Wolf, the producer. No. The two got married in a small brick townhouse on August 22nd, 1848. Shortly thereafter, Grant was transferred to Detroit Rock City. Get up! His father-in-law tried to convince Julia to stay with him while Grant went back to the military, but she refused, and the two soon went to live that military base life. Mm, yeah. Free dry cleaning. You know. That's all I know about military base life. I've never been on a fucking military base. I, I, I'm on fucking pins and needles over here. <laughs> Just waiting want to, to see know how you're going to expound on this. <laughs> a year later, Julia was pregnant, and in May of 1850, she gave birth to their first son, which she named Frederick Dent Grant, in honor of her father, the Colonel. Yeah. Shortly after that, Grant helped form the Rising Sun Division, Lodge Number 210, of the Sons of Temperance. If you guys know anything about temperance, mm-hmm. you'll see where this is going. It was here that he made an oath not to, quote, make, buy, sell, or use as a beverage any spirituous or malt liquors, wine, or cider. End quote. Don't say nothing about no white claws. Ain't no laws with white claws. That is true. Blitzed on seltzers. No claws with white claws. Second half, baby. Woo! You can still get a Smirnoff iced at the fucking Sons of Temperance meeting. <laughs> Guys, I said I wouldn't drink. Ah, oh, you fuckers. I can't believe uh, I took it. <laughs> Everybody's just bringing a 12-pack and like <laughs> going to the bathroom. Immediately, somebody follows them because they know they're going to get ice. But they want to <laughs> pretend like they don't know. Oh, you know? no. Oh, oh, plausible deniability. I guess I have to chug it. Baby, I'm telling you, I went to the meeting. I was doing good. And then this guy handed me a bottle and instinctively I took it. <laughs> It's a fucking ice. You know, I, I just had to get down on one knee and chug that motherfucker. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, what happened to your pants? Well, there were a lot of Smirnoff vices. They burned up in the car wreck. Oh, also, <laughs> I forgot to tell you about the family car. <laughs> There's also a dead man in the passenger seat. He's bent over the uh, the driver's seat, but don't worry about the logistics of that. Yeah, it's just happening. He's dead crash. Now. How attached to the family dog were you? Because, I, you know, I, I may have seen him in the street, and I may have not braked. And I was just... <laughs> yep. Everything was going great. He wasn't making a lot of money, but he was young, had a loving wife and child. Julia was pregnant again, and Ulysses had sworn off the booze. But the military told him he was going to San Francisco. Yeah! The San Francisco treat. <laughs> Back in 1852, San Francisco was only accessible by the sea, and the Transcontinental Railroad wouldn't be finished for another 17 years. So Grant and his army buddies had to sail from New York all the way to Panama. Panama! Uh, 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 uh. Then ride horses across the country to the Pacific, 
where they'd sail all the way to California. California. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, Beverly Hillbillies might say. <laughs> Do they say that? I think so. I don't. It's a show know. from the fifties. You're talking to fourteen year olds. Just no, say what it you wasn't. want. It's from the sixties, and that's when the werewolf showed up. They don't know. That's true. It was during this trip that Julia gave birth to their second son, which she named Ulysses S. Grant Jr., which, you know, makes complete sense if you ignore the fact that his father's name was actually Hiram Ulysses Grant. There wasn't an S in there at all, but... (laughs) Junior! It it also always throws me off when the second kid gets the junior. Like, the first kid was like, "Eh, I don't know, I don't know about this kid, but... uh, the second one, I think he's got it. He can take my name. Fuck that, that is, other one. Yeah, that is weird. You get yeah. the first one out of the way. Yeah. All the errors come with the first one. Yep. I am living proof of that. Same. Same Z's. Yeah. yeah. My younger sister is way more successful than I am. Way more well-adjusted. You know? I was I was the experimental child. I was the, the failed abortion that stuck around, and they're like, okay, well, let's see what happens. And then... uh the kid they wanted turned out to be better somehow. I don't know how that works, you know? <laughs> yeah. I hate my sister. Okay. Sorry. 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 It's okay. Just, just letting the emotions spill out. I'm sorry. Well, it was also on this trip that Ulysses began to drink heavily once more. I guess all that Rising Sun Division stuff was bullshit, huh, man? Yeah. Just uh, appeasing the wife. Now, oh. She's thousands of miles away. (laughs) She won't mind. Look, baby, even though I'll be the only 37-year-old in the gay conversion camp, I'll go. (laughs) I will go. For you. Even though you know I can't be trusted around young, buff 18-year-old men. You know, for you, I will go across the country and I swear I won't do anything improper. Nothing will happen. Nothing. There's no electricity, which means there won't be cameras, but I will not do anything bad. I'm going there to convert (laughs) to a normal Christian life of straightdom. Grant showed up at the docks in New York, holding his young son, telling his wife he loved her so much. He, like, looks at the ship, and there's, like, 40 barrels just packed on top. He's like, what's in that? Oh, that's our finest bourbon. He just like immediately shoves the baby back to her. Like, I'll be good. I swear. Bye. (laughs) It was like on the plane ride to the conversion camp. Like, I didn't want to check a bag because as everybody knows, you got to pay to check a bag these days. Mm -hmm. So you just bring the carry on and then the personal item. Right. You keep all your clothes in there. But it's just, I was furiously, like, breaking the zippers on all of my jeans and shorts and all that. <laughs> that was, oh, no. It happened again. What, what? And then the next day, it's like, oh, man, must have been a terrorist on that flight. Call back 9-11 episodes. All right, there let's go. go. All right. Anyway, no zippers, dick hanging out. Yes, we... we oh, 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 okay, okay. Just wanted to make that clear. Well, on this trip to Panama, California, all that... The ship's captain would often be lying in bed, and he'd hear Grant slip into his cabin, sneak a drink of his finest whiskeys, and then disappear back into the top deck. What a dick. What a <laughs> I dick. I would shoot his ass. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bottle of Evan Williams White Label sitting right there. I mean, it's nice. Mm-hmm. You know, 17 bucks or whatever, but he just goes straight for the top shelf shit. He's going for that George T. Stag, baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
What a cock. <laughs> but, you know, it was pretty cool the captain just never call him out. Yeah. Like, he, yeah, I heard him going for it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, he wanted to dick about it. He he tried not to wake me up. <laughs> when he was stealing my shit. <laughs> yeah. Standing over me with his finger in his belly button, drinking a glass of whiskey. <laughs> Just cracked one eye, and man, it was the creepiest thing ever. I didn't want to move because I was afraid <laughs> yeah. of the consequences. <laughs> pretend to be asleep, pretend to be asleep. My chest was going up and down for probably 30 times a minute at that point. But I was just praying that sleep paralysis demon would come back and relieve me from this nightmare. <laughs> well, once the army made it back to San Francisco, there still wasn't a ton for Grant to do. After all, there wasn't a war being fought. The soldiers were just there to oversee the implementation of law and order following the California gold rush. So Grant drank to the point of possibly developing alcoholic neuropathy, which caused him to suffer constant cramps and pains in his legs and feet. He also realized that there was no money in military life, so he tried his hand at business. I bet you it's going to go well. Probably going to oh, It's going to go so well, dude. He's on, like, the $50 bill. He has to be good at money stuff, right? Yeah. 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 I feel good about that. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Grant was straight up ass cheeks at business. First, he gave $1,500 to a dude to start a store. That partner, a dude named Elijah Camp, refused to tell Grant how much money he was making, then offered to buy Grant out of his original $1,500 investment, by giving him $700 in cash and $800 in personal notes, which are like a old-timey check, basically. Yeah, like, I owe you. Here's... Yeah. You, you can cash these later. Well, then he convinced Grant to burn the personal notes because he was, quote-unquote, worried someone might get them before Grant could cash them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's plausible, Elijah. I will do just that. <laughs> I did, fucking Grant. In the end, the store burned down, and Elijah Camp ran away without paying Grant back, having made around ten grand in profits. Our main source likes to attribute this to Grant being so honest and unable to lie, like he expects everyone else to be so honest and, you know, not tricky and conniving. But it's kind of just Grant being an idiot. You're like, hey, okay, uh, you know what? You think I should burn these $800 in personal notes? You got it, dude. I like you that much. Like... What are you fucking thinking, man? Like, even in 1850-whatever, what are you thinking? Yeah. He was kind of a dummy. <laughs> yeah. But this is an isolated incident, so... It sure know. is. Only failure yeah. business. Yep, has to be. $50 bill. He's on the $50 bill. He has to be a genius. Ulysses S. Grant then bought 100 acres and tried to grow crops to sell to the army. That farm flooded and failed. Oh. Well, then he tried to sell chickens. Oh, but but most of them died in transport from the farm to San Francisco. Alright. <laughs> She's gonna hit gold any minute now. You're supposed to feed these things or what? Like they're food. You don't feed food. <laughs> Stupid idiots. Alright. Here's the ticket. Here's the yeah. ticket. Yeah. There's no refrigeration, right? At this point. You need ice. You, you need gotta ice make drinks. to cool things. And and drinks. Yeah. Well, he decided to sell ice, but most of it melted, and the price bottomed out before he could sell it. Fuck! Okay. <laughs> One more chance, Grant. One more. I just imagine him 
grabbing this big block of fucking ice at the top of the mountains and the Sierra Madres and then just running downhill with it. And by the time he gets down, it's like a cartoon. It's just water running through his hands. Just puts like, it in the back of the Subaru and drives 14 hours back to San Francisco. Just looking back over his shoulder the whole time. He's like, fuck. Okay. Okay. Oh, it's still good. It's still good. No. Fuck. 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 I need to get gas. Shit. 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 <laughs> well, after that, he tried opening a social club in Billiard Hall. Basically a bar. Well, How do you feel a bar? There's so much overhead. Right? Right. But his partner once again... Took off with his money. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, moving past his business ventures, uh, I'm sure he'll get it one day. Well, yeah, but he's a military man. He's going to do good in the military. That's that's who he is, right? Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't be doing an episode on him, you know? Right, right. In 1854, Grant was placed under the command of Robert C. Buchanan, a fellow West Point grad who was 100% serious business. He didn't like how Grant was constantly drunk or how much of a soup sandwich Grant looked like in his uniform. And because Grant hadn't seen his family in a few years, hadn't even met his son Ulysses S. Grant Jr., and he was suffering from constant migraines, his drinking had only gotten worse. It was then that Grant resigned from the Army. Oh, why? Well, according to him, it was because he was lonely and broke and just wanted to go home. That makes sense. But in reality... He showed up drunk around Buchanan, who graciously told him, Get your shit together or resign. Then about a week later, Grant showed up at the pay table drunk as fuck. He was told to resign or face court-martial. He probably could have beat the charges, because everyone got fucking drunk. But he really did want out of the military. And so on April 11th, 1854, he was given commission as a captain and allowed to resign. Unfortunately for him, everyone knew him as a drunk, and that reputation would follow him for the rest of his life. Yeah, no, it's it's so true, because any time he does anything, good or bad, going forward, it's like, well, he was drunk as a fucking skunk when it happened. You know, it's and everyone uses that to try and slander him. And I know how that feels, man. I know how it feels. You know, you crash your car into one elementary school, two o'clock in the afternoon... You know, the kids are already leaving. There's not, they're not even in danger. There's only injuries. There weren't even deaths. Yeah. You, you get out shirtless and you got ghost state written on your, your chest in uh, paint, but it's not even football season. But people are still like, you can't support your school for some reason because it's not football season. You know, there's a lot of judgment. That's all I'm saying. And that haunts you forever. Yeah. It does. Yeah. yeah. It does. Well, little known fact. Grant would later see this turn of events as a blessing. He would say, quote, If I had stayed in the Army, I would have still been a captain on frontier duty at the outbreak of the war and would thus have been deprived of the right to offer my services voluntarily to the country. You know, turn a negative to a positive, put a little spinning control on it, silver linings, all that. Yeah. If I hadn't been a drunk idiot, who knows, man? No one knew who I was now, you know? Just uh, being be a regular dude out there. Living the sober life, clean and sober. My wife would still love me. I, you know, wouldn't have to go to all those classes and stuff to get the stuff dropped off from my record about hitting the school with my car in the mm. middle of the day. You know, if when me and my family visited uh, Epcot Studios in Florida, mm -hmm. and I hadn't left that Orlando nightclub a little sooner, mm -hmm. maybe I would have been shot. Maybe <laughs> I'd be dead. <laughs> 
I did not see a Pulse nightclub joke coming. I uh, I applaud you and deplore you no. at the same time. This is it's just a fictional. Oh yeah, joke. Just, no. yes, yes, yes. No. No. Yeah. Anyway, well, now Grant was unemployed and had a whopping forty dollars to his name and no way to get home. Luckily, people felt sorry for him and basically gave him room and board so that he could eventually get back to Julia. When he got home, his dad offered him a job at the tannery in Galena, Illinois, so long as Julia and the boys stayed with him or with her father, the colonel. Ah, you can't stay with your husband, who you love and you father children with, but you can stay with me. Or you can go stay with your father, but he's just going to bother you about what 11 secret herbs and spices he should put on his fried chicken. And you're going to bring that recipe back to me. <laughs> My name is Popeye. <laughs> I've got a great idea for a chicken sandwich here in a hundred and seventy years. <laughs> Two hundred years. Whatever. Math. Who cares? Anyway. Well, Ulysses told his dad to go thunder and lightning himself with his own darn. <laughs> what the fuck do you mean by that? You know what I mean, Dad. You go to heck I and have, you die. I have three curse words. <laughs> they all have to be interchanged and you have to decipher it, but you can figure it out from context, you stupid son of a darn. <laughs> you piece of Gilmash. <laughs> Gilmash isn't even a regular word, son. Oh, don't you fargle puff me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Do you have a stroke in the army or something? I knew we should have left you in the bathtub. <laughs> that future host HPH is right. I should have aborted you when you were like six years old. <laughs> Take you out back like old Yeller. <laughs> well, all this meant that Grant had to go to the colonel for help. He gave Ulysses and Julia 60 acres to manage, but not own, much like a sharecropper. Grant built a two-story log cabin that looked like shit, was built like shit, and that upset the once-rich Julia. But she made the best out of it. And actually, she wound up having to take over the finances because Ulysses would give away all of his money or buy her and the kids anything they wanted, even if it meant spending their last dollar. At home, Grant was a happy dude. He loved playing with his kids and singing songs, which were surprisingly rare things to do at that time in American history. I don't know. You're supposed to be a hard ass all the time. Yeah, it was weird because like other people would make fun of him for wrestling his boys and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, just common shit you do with your kids now. Like, we've gotten so soft. You're just supposed to, as a father, ignore your children's existence. Well, the criminal justice system, to be fair, did give a lot of shit to my uncle for wrestling me. <laughs> and this was like animalistic style like caveman wrestling yeah you know before man had clothes like the greek style yeah yeah, yeah just oiled up you get in the circle a little chalk circle he made in his basement and you just went at it yeah i'm i am still apologetic for leaving your 19th birthday party so early i was just uncomfortable with what was happening i just wish the man knew the meaning of tapping out you know i'd, <laughs> I'd just be tapping and he wouldn't stop just keep squeezing the arteries until you lost consciousness for some reason. <laughs> well, you know, even though all that shit was like frowned upon by upper society, Grant didn't give a shit about that because he was just trying to survive. 
His farm wasn't producing, so he was reduced to selling firewood on the streets of St. Louis while wearing his old army coat. Not because, you know, he was some just insane Vietnam veteran, you know, mm-hmm. conflict that wouldn't happen for another uh, hundred plus years, but because it was the last piece of warm clothing he had. Over the following four years, shit just got worse. The colonel moved to the city and left his land to Grant, but he once again sucked ass at farming and couldn't make any money. He had to pawn his pocket watch to buy Christmas presents for his family. The Grants had two more children, Nellie and Jesse, bringing the total to four mouths to feed. Stop fucking. Always, he's always fucking. I don't see anything wrong with that. He started a real estate company with a partner, and that too failed. He abandoned the farm and bounced around Missouri until 1860, when he finally had to move to Galena, Illinois to work for his father. At the age of 38, Ulysses was going home to be a store clerk. Yes, Greg, and little known fact, it was around this time that Grant once again gave up drinking. Allegedly, he woke up one night, middle of the night, like 3 a.m., and he found poor, innocent, cross-eyed Julia pouring out one of his kegs of whiskey, and the sight of that alone was enough to make him want to stop drinking. Yeah, that'd make me want to stop, too. Yeah. Stop being married. <laughs> hey, yeah. Get out, woman. Get out. <laughs> yes. That's all I got. <laughs> I was gonna say. I, I was gonna say that's the exact reaction I would have. I walk in, and she's pouring all the whiskey I've spent money and you know time collecting. She's pouring it on the floor, and the dogs licking it up, and just having a mm. great fucking time. I'd go cross-eyed too. <laughs> Just be a cross-eyed fucking family. Well, it was during these six years of poverty, between 1854 and 1860, that Grant fully developed his strong abolitionist viewpoints. When he was given the 60 acres to manage, Julia was given four slaves by her father. At that time, Grant refused to let them work the fields and hired only freed black men to work alongside him. In 1859, When he had the legal authority to do so, Grant freed the slaves he could, even though selling them would have gone a long way towards curing his poverty issues. Yeah, and just to expound on that a little bit, uh, the four slaves that Julia inherited, he couldn't free those legally because of the laws in Missouri and all that at the time. Uh, But there was one slave, a half-white, half-black man. I don't like to use the outdated term that our book used. I don't know if you can still say that word. You can say it in the context of history, mulatto. Yeah, mulatto is the word they use, yeah. And he freed that guy, even though it really would have given him a a ton of money if he had sold him instead. But he freed him, gave him uh, his rights back, and then hired him back to help work the property. Grant was pretty progressive in his thinking. Now, he said he developed abolitionist views going into the Civil War. He would still say we we shouldn't push for abolition because this is only going to cause problems, but in his personal life, that's what he strove for. Over the following year, Grant once again drifted aimlessly and half-assed his job as a clerk. But in that year, Abraham Lincoln was elected president. The South seceded from the Union, and on April 12, 1861, the Civil War began in earnest when the Confederates attacked the Union-held Fort Sumter in South Carolina. When asked if he was going to join up with the Union to fight, Grant replied that the government had paid for his education, so it was entitled to his services. He formed a group of Illinois volunteers known as the Joe Davies Guards. 
War reinvigorated Grant and gave him a great deal of confidence. In fact, before he left, he wrote a letter to Colonel Dent calling him a bitch for owning slaves and told him if he was a real man, he'd free the slaves and support the Union. The colonel responded by telling Grant if he saw him during the war, he'd kill his son-in-law himself. After drilling his ragtag group of volunteers into a real army, Grant sought out a position of command. First, he wrote President Lincoln. Then he wrote George B. McClellan, who was the general-in-chief commanding the Union forces. They both ignored his letter. Then he wrote to the governor of Illinois, who immediately made Grant the colonel over the 7th Congressional District Regiment. He was still broke, so he had to ask his dad, Jesse, and his brother, Orville, um, also famous for his popcorn. And inventing planes, yes, and causing 9-11 indirectly. Think about it, Greg. I just did. You're right. <laughs> he had to ask them for a loan so that he could buy a horse and a uniform befitting a colonel. They refused, so he had to take out a loan from the bank. <laughs> I tried doing this. I tried going to the bank and getting a loan for a suit to get a job so I could pay back the loan for the suit. They they told me to fuck off. It, uh, it didn't work out, so that's how I ended up uh, out in front of the bank servicing gentlemen by the ATM, so I could, you know, buy a suit to get a job. You know, this country's fucked up. That, that's all I'm saying. It's just, uh, uh, sir, yeah, we'd love to give you a personal line of credit. What's your permanent address? <laughs> uh, What's the address of this bank? What's the address <laughs> of the dumpster behind this bank? That's what, uh... Can I give you a CB radio call number? <laughs> Because I've been hitched up with this trucker for a while. And, you know, we're <laughs> everywhere, but he's got a specific CB number. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's how that works. I don't know. <laughs> well, Grant was so afraid that he'd be tempted to drink and so aware of the problems alcohol caused that he banned it from his army and had all the barrels smashed and drained. Ugh. I uh, know. I hate him now. Any man that showed up drunk was either given lashes or just tied to a wagon until he sobered up. Yeah, I like the lashes. They make my eyes pop. You increase that high. You get that little bit of adrenaline. It's almost like doing a, like a Vegas bomb or like a Jaeger bomb. You get that caffeine mixed with the booze. You can go all night. Yeah. So like, uh, adrenaline gets going after you're fucking drunk. And then oh, as soon yeah. as like you leave his presence... You just start getting fucked up again. <laughs> start pounding it again. It's a, it's a terrible plan. Spring break! <laughs> Ulysses was finally in his element. It seemed like he was born to fight war, with a strong tactical mind and the experience necessary to provide competent leadership to the Union. But even he thought he wouldn't be much more than a regimental leader for a state army. Little did he know. He would be the man to lead the Union to glory. And, naturally, that is where we will start things off next time. Edge of this part of the story! Woo! We did it. Told that part of the story. There's a lot more to go, but for right now, Gregory, we just have a little bit more. Just a teensy, teensy bit more. Just a little nibble. Yeah, just a little nibble on the titty. And the mom slaps the baby. No, you don't nip. You just suckle. Yeah, we have that. And then we like to call it the fast facts. 
Fast fact number one. Wait, last time you made fun of me because I don't do it like a DJ like you do. Fast fact number one. <laughs> yeah. Fast fact number one. While at West Point, Grant shared the classrooms with some people who would go on to play huge roles in the Civil War, such as James Longstreet and George B. McClellan. But one of his best friends would be a lanky, fun-loving, future firebug named William Tecumseh Sherman. Fast fact number two. Speaking of George B. McClellan, when Grant was in San Francisco, he was ordered to deliver 200 horses to McClellan, who was surveying railroad routes for the army. Grant delivered the animals on time, but he showed up drunk as a skunk and sloppily dressed. McClellan was pissed and held that grudge well into the Civil War. Fast fact number three. When he was broke as fuck in St. Louis, Grant came across James Longstreet, who he owed $5 from their time in the army together. Longstreet felt sorry for Grant, who looked and presumably smelled like a hobo, and he refused to take the $5 from Grant. Grant insisted and said he refused to live in debt. The next time they saw each other, Longstreet was surrendering to Grant at the end of the Civil War. Grant was just tucking that five into the thong he made him get in. <laughs> Fast fact number four. When it came to John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry, which we covered in episode 70, check it out, Grant applauded the idea behind it, but said, quote, It was certainly the act of an insane man to attempt the invasion of the South and the overthrow of slavery with less than 20 men, end quote. Also, Agreed. All right, we did it. We told that story. We thank you guys for listening once again. You can check us out at hunterproofhistory.com. There you will find links to our Instagram, social media, stuff like that. Uh, if you're looking for those links directly, just find us at 100proofhistory on any social media platform. But if you go to hunterproofhistory.com, you will find a link to our Patreon where for just $3 a month. You get early access to new episodes access to a whole bunch of old episodes, like a hundred things we've done before anything uh, available to the regular human listeners. And also we got our new feature and that's us uh, kind of just ranting and raving about current events and stuff going on in our life. It's pretty fun. I hope you guys enjoy it. But for now, I would like to thank you once again for listening. I am your sexy co-host Christopher for Wolf Dick, our producer, Dan, the intro guy, all the rest, the people you probably didn't hear this episode, but they'll be back. They're just waiting in the wings, just waiting to spring out when you least expect it and, uh, you know, surprise you, catch you with your pants down, so to speak. For them, <laughs> I would like to thank you guys for listening. And for our main host, Gregory, I would like to ask, what else? I'm having the time of my life! Goodbye. I'm just intrigued what a dildo master 5000 would be. Aren't we all to give water to the other wounded and dying fucking cocklestein in the civil war such as James Longstreet and George Meebe George Meebe Plelin. You're such a cock fucking <laughs> drunk bitch. <laughs> <laughs>